to those in uh, Christian Coffee Time, for those that are viewing this uh, this video and this service here. If you look in our Bibles, we're, we're uh, continuing on in our study of the Gospels chronologically. We are, we are up to Matthew 16. Actually, we had one verse in chapter 15 to deal with, the last one there, but uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 and make sure you have some writing material, some paper and uh, pens out to uh, write down as we oftentimes we refer to other portions of scripture for when you're studying the Bible you will find that in any portion of scripture you're not going to find all the information on that subject amen you won't the Lord wants us to search it out through there line upon line precept upon precept so write them down you can search that out later we're going to have a word of prayer first of all Father in heaven we thank you now Lord and ask that you just would guide us as we look into the scriptures we stand upon holy ground here now, Lord. We look at the Bible, which is the Word of God. And Lord, help us to understand these things. Help us with the interpretations and the applications to our own hearts. And we just thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we have, uh, we finished last week, or we did last week, with the, uh, finished up with um, the Lord Jesus fed the 4,000. He was over in Decapolis. Now we've been watching one of the things that the Lord was, has been doing through these studies is that he's traveling a lot. And it's quite interesting when you stop. It's a whole other subject. You think about him traveling. It, it, they didn't travel like we do, obviously, but they walked mostly. If you were very wealthy, you might have had a, a, a mule to ride or a donkey or something like that. Um, but walked everywhere. So right now, um, in the feeding of the, of the 4,000, the Lord Jesus, if you can see this on here, uh, the Sea of Galilee, in the bottom uh, uh, southeast corner of Decapolis, the borders over here, he fed the, the 4,000. And now he takes a boat and going across here to uh, um, uh, Mark, I think it is, calls it um, Dalmanutha. But here in the book of Matthew, he says he went to Magdala. Now the difference is, as I understand it, is Magdala is like the town and the village, the area there. And Dalmanutha may have been, may have been a, a wider thing, kind of like a county we might call it or something like that. That's the difference there. And some get all worked up about those things, but it's not a problem at all. So he has crossed over the Sea of Galilee to Dalmanutha, uh, this Magdala right here. Uh, and uh, that's a, a prominent place in, in the Bible, a prominent place. We remember back in chapter 12 of Matthew, the Lord Jesus was in that very area was where the Pharisees and those characters said that he casts out devils by the prince of devils, you know, and all that. Uh, and the Lord Jesus had to tell them off. And not only that, I'm not sure if it was at that time, but from that place, from the city there of the town, was a lady by the name of Mary. Mary Magdalene of Magdala. She's a Magdalene, okay? She came from there. That's a fascinating study. Uh, I did a little bit of study into the life of... Uh, Mary Magdalene, we won't look at it this morning, uh, but just to mention that, <clears throat> she's mentioned uh, once early on in Luke chapter 2, which is right around the time of Matthew 12 when the Lord Jesus was over there, when they gave him all that trouble and said those terrible blasphemous things about him. And it tells us in Luke that he had cast the devils out of many people in that, but there was three specific ones that he cast the devils out, and Mary Magdalene was one of them who had seven devils. And in the midst of all that, the enemy comes, the enemy in the way of the Pharisees and those came and they tried to cause the Lord Jesus trouble and so on and so forth. So he's back in that same area now, that Magdalene area, which is the Galilee area. Galilee was actually a region, 
which would go something like this, around, all around here. And you have Nazareth and Canaan, Magdala and Capernaum, and all those places up in there are in Galilee, that region of. Verse 39 in chapter 15. And he sent away the multitude and took ship and came into the coast of Magdala. And of course, as I said, Mark chapter 8, verse 10 calls it Dalmanutha, that area there, okay? So let's go to chapter um, 16, verse 1. So you get the picture. The Lord Jesus is traveling. He's doing all these things, doing all these wonderful, tremendous miracles and such. And here we have these characters come along. Um, last time we, we saw them, uh, they were uh, complaining about how the disciples didn't wash their hands properly. Okay? And now they're going to complain about some other things. But isn't it just like the way the enemy works? We take a lesson from that. We see how the enemy works when you have victories and such. He's just there to steal the joy, throw uh, water on the fire, so to speak, and just to confuse things. You have to remember these characters thought that they were the religious and even governmental leaders at that time. They were men of very high and prominent positions. So we have here the Pharisees also with the Sadducees. Let's just talk about the Pharisees for a minute. And you understand we talked about them often. They were they figured they were guardians of God's word, eh? And to protect God's word, they had set up um, some traditions of men, the traditions of elders and such. And I call it a picket fence. They set up around, and that that became their religion. As one of the most ridiculous ones I, I mentioned often is, if a chicken laid an egg on the Sabbath, you can't eat that egg. Okay. <laughs> no, but that that's this is how they protected. They thought the word of God. They thought that was their job to protect. And uh, they were well versed in scripture, but they had also this added. You have things added to scripture, you're going to have problems. It doesn't work. You can't mix oil and water. You can't do that. You can't mix God's word with man's traditions and words and such. You're going to have an absolute abomination. And the spirit of God won't be in it. Okay? So we see the Pharisees. And then we see the Sadducees. Now a few things about them. As we look at the Pharisees, we think of them today, we would call them uh, kind of legalistic, very, very right, ultra-conservative. That's probably not the right thing to say for uh, those that are conservative mind. It's not the right thing. But way beyond that, ultra, you know, way over there. Um, and the Sadducees would have been the absolute opposite to that. They would be, we would call them today like uh, liberals, but way beyond that. Some of the things about them... Um, uh, for the most part, uh, they were uh, judges and individuals of the official and governing class. Okay, they had some kind of religious smatterings in their beliefs and such, but a lot of it was uh, denial system. And we see there's some today that have denial systems. They denied the resurrection of man. Okay, they said there wasn't any resurrection. Um, they uh, denied angels and spirits and the whole thing. They denied that. They, did, they denied future punishments and future rewards. They denied all these things. And that's why they're sad, you see. That's why they're sad, you see, yeah. Uh, they believed in the freedom of the will, absolutely. And God was completely out of that. Uh, God was excluded from the government of the world. Kind of sounds like things today in some places, doesn't it? You know, some characters have those kind of things set up. 
But we see those two absolute extremes, don't we? Um, the Sadducees rapidly uh, uh, disappeared after the first century, so I read, anyways. So we see these two that were diametrically opposed, and they did not get along because they did not agree on doctrine and such. But here it says they also with the Sadducees, these two groups came. They united together, so to speak, against the Lord Jesus. Isn't that something? Mm. And tempting, desired. That word tempt there, it means that they were trying to test the Lord Jesus. They were actually trying to trip him up. Okay, They're testing him. They, they want to get something from him. But why would they test him? I was thinking of this. Why would they do that? Why would they have that attitude where they would test the Lord Jesus and tempt him? I wrote down a couple things for that. First of all, they didn't want to believe it. I mean, they had heard of the miracles that the Lord Jesus had done. They perhaps were even there and saw some of the miracles that he'd done. Okay? They didn't want to believe it. They didn't want to. They did not want to believe and accept that Jesus is the Son of God. They did not want to believe and accept that he is the Son of Man, as mentioned in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. That one that would come from God and do all these things. Okay? It would mean that they were wrong. That's a tough one today. Sometimes we run up against that ourselves, and it's a very difficult thing to say, I, I was wrong. Um, and get it right. They weren't spiritually minded at all. This is the second thing here. They weren't spiritually minded at all. The Pharisees were focused on their picket fence and the traditions of men. The Sadducees were focused on all the ruling thing, what they did. The Holy Spirit wasn't in it. The Holy Spirit wasn't giving them guidance, was he? Because when you choose some other things, they, those other things actually become idols, don't they? They become idols in the people's lives. And God says, okay, fine. I can't work in that. I will not work in that. The Spirit of God did not give them guidance. They set up man's words above God's words. Their will was set up above God's will. And that's one of the problems today in society, in uh, religion, and, and, and in, in some denominations in Christianity too, but you, can't, you can't just put everything down to a denomination. It's up to individuals, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And thirdly, I would say that they would uh, they uh, tested the Lord Jesus. They just wanted to push him away because it would upset their comfortable lives because they were people of uh, of wealth and prominence and power. And their positions in their religion and in the in the in the government and so on and so forth would be compromised. They would have to change if they accepted the Lord Jesus as he was, as he is. So the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Now think about this. A sign from heaven. The Lord Jesus did all kinds of things. He walked on the water, he raised people from the dead, the blind could see. Most of the things that he did in his miracles, if I could say that, is that the right way to say that? That Jesus, what Jesus did, the miracles, were two people and four people. Okay? They want to see something from heaven. But I think they, they're more there saying, we don't want to see these things you're doing. We want to see one of these signs from heaven. You stop and think about it for a minute. I mean, if you go back in the Old Testament, a lot of the uh, prophets and such did signs from heaven. And things happened, eh? Um... Moses, uh, 
prayed, and then the manna came down from heaven. Eh? Uh, Joshua, the sun stood still. The sun and the moon stood still for a day. Wow. Samuel, during the wheat harvest, Samuel goes and prays and says, I'm going to have God send thunder and rain. It's not a really good thing to have that during harvest time. <laughs> Elijah with the prophets of Baal. And he calls down fire from heaven. Eh? And Isaiah did many things. Asked the Lord to... The, the, uh, the shadow on the sundial went back 10 degrees one time. These are things from heaven, from God. And this is what they were wanting. We don't want to see these things you're doing. We want to see some of these other things. Perhaps it was like that. But the Lord Jesus stood firm in his uh, previous response, which was back in Matthew chapter 12 when he dealt with these characters. Maybe it was the same guys. Maybe it was a different crowd, but it was the same area, Magdalene, Magdala, and that area down in there. Um, he said to them back in Matthew 12, when they told, they said that he was casting out devils by the devil, power of the devil, he said that no sign would be given them but the sign of Jonah. And he says the same thing here. During uh, his first public rejection by the Jewish leaders several chapters earlier, after they had blasphemously, blasphemously accused him, he said there would be no sign given to you but the sign of Jonah. And he says the same thing here. Perhaps, just perhaps, he's talking to the same crowd. So, anyways, let's go on. So they desired a sign from heaven. He answered. The Lord answers. trying to read my notes there. <laughs> he answered and said unto, unto them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul, foul weather, for the sky is red and lowering. We have that today, don't we? Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. That's out of the Bible. Okay, We have a paraphrase, but that's in the Bible. He says, you can, you can, he's saying to them, you picture the Lord Jesus talking to these ones. He says, you can tell... Uh, when about from the sky, you can tell what it's going to be like. You can read the signs of the day. The signs in the sky is going to tell you what it's going to be like. Um, <clears throat> we were down east. Uh, they had a, a thing that they used to call a, the weather forecast. I think they called it the Maine one. Now, it's all the people from Maine, I'm sorry, but this is what they call it, the Maine weather station. Maybe the people in Maine thought it would be have a pole with a, a rope on it, hanging down on it. And when the rope's moving, it's windy. <laughs> and when the rope gets wet, it's raining. <laughs> you know, that's a pretty good sign, eh? But the Lord Jesus says, look, you guys, you can tell. You can tell by the sky, the color of the sky, you can tell what it's going to be like. But, he says in verse 3, the second half, but, ye, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? It's in question, as we have it here. But can ye not discern the signs of the times? Standing before them was the Son of Man, for the, the, the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13, had been fulfilled. There he is, and when Jesus called himself the Son of Man, go and read that sometime, memorize that. It's an important, important verse. It has to do with why Jesus called himself the Son of Man. 
He's that one that was prophesied that would come and do these things and so on and so forth. He's standing there and all the things that were taking place, the miracles that were taking place, the Bible tells us over in the book of John chapter 20 that many other things truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, but these are written. These things in the gospel are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. God wants people to read the Bible. He wants the unsaved to read the Gospels. Remember they used to hand out Bibles in school? I came across a whole pile of them the other day. I got mine, I got Robin's, I got my brothers, I got her brothers, a whole bunch of them, a whole bunch of them. But you can't discern the signs of the times. Jesus' miracles showed who he is. Don't say who he was, who he is. For us today, the signs of the time, we can see things changing. They're changing worldwide in governmental things, political things, religious things. Things are changing. They're talking openly about a one world government and how they're going to change things. These are signs of the times. The Bible talks about when the sun will be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall. That's a sign. Genesis chapter 2, I think it's verse 14, says that God gave the sun and the moon and the stars for signs. One of the, one of the things, for light and for signs. Because right after that, Jesus is going to come back, it says. Anyways, he's saying to them, you can tell the sky, he calls them hypocrites. You know, the, the word hypocrite means play actor. Because you're just play acting, you're just playing at religion. You're just playing at these beliefs that you have. You're just playing, pretending that you know God. You're just playing at this business of telling other people all these doctrines and such and all this stuff. It's nonsense, he says. Verse 4, he says, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Wicked and adulterous. Well, they're standing there, and he calls them wicked and adulterers. They may have been... They were wicked in what they were doing, what they were believing and forcing it upon others. Adulterous, perhaps they were, and the Bible talks about them, they had uh, eyes that uh, are full of adultery. But then there's also spiritual, spiritual adultery in that they had different gods set up and such that they worshipped and they looked at. And this is what they were. And the Lord Jesus just called it as it was. I often wonder, we read, the, read here, we don't really get the... Um, the sense of the tone. I'd be interested to know what kind of a tone the Lord Jesus had. Was he? Was it anger? I don't think it was very pleasant. Perhaps, just in my mind, he was very probably very stern at this point, because he these people were leading people to hell, eh, with their false doctrines and such, and proclaiming that they were the ones that know God and they're the guardians of God's holiness and all this stuff. A wicked and adulterous generation. Talking about the whole nation seeks after a sign. We don't look for signs today, do we? We don't need them. We don't need them. Even when the Lord Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and shining, standing there, and the disciples are there, they see this. It tells us in Peter, I forget his first or second, he says, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. You can see these things, you can see signs and have signs. We've got something that's more sure than that. The Word of God. Amen. Right there. That's what he was saying. 
A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. There should be no sign given unto it, unto that nation, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Now we know what that was. It says in the Bible that as Jonah was three days or three nights in the heart of that, whether it was a fish or a whale, I don't know, I wasn't there. It was something that could swallow him right up whole and then regurgitate him out on the shore kind of thing. And nonetheless, it happened. Now we have coming up, we call it Resurrection Sunday. We do not have Ishtar Sunday. Uh, we don't have that. That's a, a pagan thing. It's a, a time of the resurrection where we celebrate Jesus Christ. And also we have in the Bible, it tells us very, very clearly, we've gone over this several times over several years, that it tells us that the day that Jesus Christ was crucified, the Bible tells us it was on a Friday. I used to think it was a Thursday. Others think it's a Wednesday. Others think it's something else. The Bible says very, very clearly that the day he was crucified was the day before the Sabbath. That was the second. And then the first day of the week was the day he rose from the dead. It's very clear. It shows us uh, the key to understanding that. A lot of times somebody asked me a while ago, well, how could you get three days and three nights out of that? Well, first of all, if you're looking at it from our calendar, and the way we look at things, you're going to miss it. This is from God's calendar. You go back to Genesis. He said, how does a day transform? The night is first. The evening and the morning were for one day. That's the key to understanding this. And the other part was that any part of a day was counted as a whole day. And when you look at it at the evening and the morning as a Jewish day, it's no problem getting three out of it. Okay? It's very clear. He says, this is the sign, though. This is the sign. The sign of the prophet Jonas, that he was... Jonas, some say he died. Did he die? How do you think he died? He could hold his breath a long time then, eh? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. I, I, he said, didn't he not say that the, uh, something about Sheol? Yeah, whatever. Anyways, but the sign of the prophet Jonas, which is the resurrection. Now all the things that the Lord Jesus did, all these miracles were to show his deity. And then he goes to the cross of Calvary as a sacrificial lamb of God to pay for the sins of the whole world because that's what it took. It was a, a lamb, a mediator, and blood had to be shed and a life had to be taken. You go back to Genesis, you go back to Adam and Eve, and God showed them that's how you approach. In fact, Abel, Cain and Abel, he told them they knew how to approach God. You have to go and take a, a lamb out of the flock, it must be killed, and so on and so forth. It's killed and its blood is shed for your sins, Abel. It's a mediator. It's a go-between between you and me, God says. It's a picture of Christ, amen? And then he rose from the dead. And if he didn't, none of this matters. But he rose from the dead to show who he is, deity. And that sin has been dealt with. And that death has been dealt with. And he rose for our justification. Because you can't be justified other than with the resurrection. You can't leave him on the cross. You can't leave him in the grave. He's alive. He arose. That's what the Bible's about. And he says, this is your sign. This will be your sign. And he left them and departed. I remember, it reminded me of a, um, in um, Jeremiah. I forget what chapter it is. He had to go and 
it would be a tough thing back in those days being a prophet. You had to go up before the king and such. You might be like John the Baptist and have your head taken off. You never know, eh? Well, you just say it. Here's what God said. And one Jeremiah went up and he said what he had and he turned and walked away from them. Not arguing. This is it. And he walked away. And the Lord Jesus deals with these characters and he left them. And he departed. Then it says in verse 5, when the disciples were come to the other side, did I miss something? No, we just look at other portions of Scripture. Um, verse 13, it tells us that they went to Caesarea. Now, there was a Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast down around here somewhere, but that's not where he went. It tells us a little later on he went to Caesarea Philippi, which is up here. It's 20 miles inland. It also tells us a little, uh, uh, a little later over in Mark chapter 8, verse 22, they went to Bethsaida, Julius. Remember that? That's where he fed the 5,000. So he's here, and after dealing with those characters, they crossed over to here. That's what that's talking about right there. They went across here. He had a lot of sailing, eh? Mm. A lot of traveling with boats. I guess that was like the fastest way to get anywhere in those days. So they were going up here to Beth, Bethsaida, and... Um, uh, Caesarea Philippi was 20 miles north of that. Okay, so I find it fascinating to look at the geography of it all, and look at how much they traveled and where they went and such. But why did he leave them right there? When you have these kind of things, it seems that the Lord, we know that the Spirit of God in the midst of a, in the midst of things, if something is out of place, is not the word. We, there's an incident one time I remember. Uh, an incident, and uh, there was a great moving of the Spirit of God, and there was, in this particular incident, there was a number of people, a lot of people got saved. And there was an individual in this particular church that com kind of complained about that, and, that, and the whole thing shut down just like that. The Spirit of God doesn't work in that, you know, divisions and such. And he wasn't going to work right there. Uh, wasn't there another portion of Scripture that tells us that the Lord couldn't do many miracles in that one particular place because of their unbelief? Yeah, I can't remember where it was. So we see him just turning and walking away and leaving them. You know, the people that live there would suffer for that, wouldn't they? They would suffer when Jesus left. Yeah. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Take heed. He says two things there. Take heed and beware. That take heed has the idea of looking and focusing. You see what's going on. See it. Take heed of it. See it. And you beware of it. And that to beware of it means to, to turn your attention to so he says, I want you to note this thing, be very aware of it and where it is, and stay away from it. Kind of like if you come across a rattlesnake or something. You want to know where he is, eh? If he's getting close to you, I think we'll maybe make some distance between us. And the same idea with, with, with these, the leaven. Now later on he explains to us that the leaven is the doctrine of these characters. The leaven of the, um, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. You know what leaven is? It's what you 
put it in the, the dough and that, and it makes it cause it to rise and all that. But you take a little amount, and it, it's the idea of it, this little amount coming in and it's spreading, and it spreads and it spreads. Eh? It's interesting to note, we have here, it says the leaven of the Pharisees and uh, uh, the Sadducees, but over in Mark chapter 8, verse 15, the parallel passage to this, it says, Beware of the Pharisees, the uh, leaven of the Pharisees, and of Herod. I was thinking, what? Why would you say that? What's the connection between Herod and the Sadducees? Well, we just already talked about it. The Sadducees had some, they were people that were involved in the government and such like that. So it had that idea of looking to those particular things rather than God. And the Pharisees were something else. They were looking to their, uh, their, their, their doctrines, were looking at the traditions of man and such. So it's not a contradiction or anything. You got the uh, Herod and the Sadducees, uh, they were government officials, so to speak. And they reasoned among themselves. That word reasoned right there in verse 7 means that they, um, they brought together all their different reasons. So they're putting all their heads together. I think it's this, I think it's this, I think it's this. Isn't it interesting? I mean, this is fascinating. He's looking and showing us what goes on in our minds and that, and what in our lives sometimes. The biggest problem that was here was that the disciples weren't very, I guess they weren't very spiritually minded. It's not really fair to say that about them, but they didn't get this. They didn't get about how are they going to feed the 4,000. They didn't get this. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it's because we've taken no bread. Focused on the physical all the time, on the physical realm, the, the material realm. You know, sometimes we as Christians can get like that. We're just focused on and concerned with what we can see and what affects us around us. And we forget that, that vastness of the spiritual aspect, which is above everything and in everything and through everything. And they reason among themselves saying it's because we've taken no bread. It makes leaven. Sometimes we get like that. We just associate it with what we know. Okay? The Lord Jesus, probably a little bit, uh, I don't know what he was at this point, but he, he when he, uh, verse 8, which when Jesus perceived, when he perceived their reasonings, they're saying this and that and the other thing, and they weren't getting anywhere near to, this is a very simple lesson for them. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware. And they didn't get it. I don't get things all the time. You read the Bible and you don't just don't get you ever read a portion of the Bible and say, Lord, I don't get that. And sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes it may be way down the road, you gotta learn a whole bunch of other things before you get that one. You say, Oh, now I get it. Kind of like when you get saved, eh? I'll never forget that night. The Lord lifted that veil and was Oh, I see. I get it. Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? You know, I was reading this morning, I was reading in Proverbs, and Proverbs 3, it says, Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths and all that. Don't look to your own reasoning 
or the reasoning of others. When we have difficulties and problems, you know one of the first things we do? We go find somebody and we want to talk to somebody about it. Okay? That's not a bad thing. Well, in the sense, we should go to the Lord first. We should go to God. Remember George Mueller said, said of him that he never asked one person ever for any assistance with those orphans. Could you imagine having over 2,000 orphans and you've got to feed them two or three times a day? And he never asked of man. He says, why should I go to the door of man when I can go to the door of God? It's a lesson for us. And even when we find in our health matters and such, we should go to the Lord first. Lord, and pray about it. Take it to Him. We read way back in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us that Asa was diseased in his feet for the rest of his life because he ran to the physicians and not to the Lord. Mm. Okay, that's just what it says, you know? It's just what it says. Remember my pastor, one of my pastors used to say, look at your Bible right there. That's what it says. Take that and read that right now. <laughs> that's what it says. But we do that. We reason amongst ourselves. We talk about we talk about others and so on and so forth. You got a problem with somebody? What's the biggest thing? Well, we tell somebody else, and we do that. We should tell the Lord, because maybe it's our heart that needs adjusting. But if your heart gets adjusted, uh, it will help everybody around you. And in here, amens. <laughs> why, why reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? You put yourself in the boat there, and you're reasoning about this thing, and the Lord Jesus, just stop it for a minute. What's the matter with you guys, he's saying? Do you not yet understand? You see? Do you not yet understand? Neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up. Neither the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many baskets you took up. That was just a few weeks earlier. And verse 11, how is it that you do not understand that I spake to you not concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And the next verse says, then they understood how that he bade them to beware, not beware of the leaven of bread, but the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In all that, we can say we can come down hard on these disciples and say, well, they're dumb. We'd have to say about ourselves, I'm dumb. Sometimes. You ever feel like that? You just go, Lord, help me. I just can't seem to get this worked out. Mm. I just seem to make mistakes left, right, and center. Yeah. Okay. He says, you need me, don't you? Right. Yeah. And have you understood this yet? And he says to them, this is about the doctrine. And the do word doctrine means the teachings. Some people say, I don't like doctrine. It means teachings. You don't like doctrine. You don't like the teachings of the Bible? Give your head a shake. Uh, beware of them, he's, he's saying. But he says, how is it that you do not understand? Why don't we get it sometimes? Why didn't they get it? Is it because we're just not listening? Because we're not studying the Bible? Maybe we're not praying? I don't know. That there's some uh, leaven of some false teaching come in. That'll, that'll short-circuit short things. Is the Holy Spirit grieved? Because we need the Holy Spirit to be able to understand the Bible, right? That's what it says. It's spiritually discerned. Maybe the Holy Spirit is grieved. If we find these things like that, we need to run to the Lord. Something's wrong. In, uh, um, over in Mark chapter 8, verse 17, he says to them, Is your heart 
heart yet hardened or something like that? Your heart hardened. Their hearts, he says, is your heart still hardened? It's not soft. It wasn't able to accept the truths of God and such. There's so much, so much for us in these, uh, in these uh, verses and chapters. <clears throat> just a couple of lessons and we just back up and look at a couple of things. We can see that uh, we need to look to the scriptures, look to the Bible for confirmations, for advice, for direction in all things. It's not wrong to look to people uh, and get the advice, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. But don't leave God out of the equation. God's the first counselor, the first part of the equation. Whatever we've got, whatever problem, or, or whatever it is, we need to bring it to the Lord. He says, pour out your hearts before me. Look to scriptures. And we need to consider the signs of the times. Or we could be caught. Now, I'm not saying we'll be left behind. I'm not saying that. Well, there might be some things coming down the road. How many believe that Jesus is coming back soon? Every time we do this, everybody puts their hand up. We did this five years ago. Everybody put their hand up. Ten years ago, everybody would put their hand up. You know, things are a lot different out there today than it was ten years ago or five years ago. Yeah, yeah. Look at the signs of the times. Compare those things with Scripture. We're going to do a series uh, soon in a, a portion of Daniel and working on that. It's just fascinating. But all the prophecies of Scripture and how they've been fulfilled. And now history shows it. His story shows it. Anyways, uh, consider the signs of the times. And another lesson for us in here, some of the things we've talked about, is how easily we forget the lessons. How easily like we say, he says to them, you, you've already forgotten about the 4,000 we just fed, or the 5,000, what are we going to do here? How easily we do forget things, eh? Especially when we get older. You walk into the next room, you what I, what I come in here for? <laughs> but we're talking about the lessons and things of the Lord and such. He teaches us, we might forget. We need to be continually refreshed in our minds by Bible study and prayer. Amen? Amen? We need to take heed of the leaven, of the doctrines, of the false religions and false teachings, whoever it is. The Sadducees are hooked up with the government and such. And if it doesn't line up with the Scripture, then it has to be pushed aside. Amen? Amen. I remember one time we had a bunch of characters going around knocking on doors and handing out their literature and stuff. It was a watchtower. And... Uh, I took the paper with full intentions. I'm headed for the kitchen for the garbage pail. I'm going to throw it in. And I, I told you this before. I stopped and I just looked at I read a couple of headlines and a couple of lines. And immediately there was a doubt came in my mind. Hmm, what if they were right on this? Whoa, there's a problem right there. Lord, help me. I tore the pieces through that. That's the power of it because it's not from God, eh? It's from the opposite end of the scale, it's from the devil. And it's powerful stuff. You beware of the leaven. Take heed of it. You know that there's a rattlesnake nearby. That thing can hurt you. You keep your eye on that. Don't let it get close to you. False teachings, he's saying. False teachings. We have more false teachings today than they had back then, probably. Take heed and beware. And too often we look to the, to the physical end of things, the material world, and we don't look high enough. We see, yeah, it's cloudy out there. Above those clouds, it's blue skies and the sun shining in the spiritual realm. Look to the Lord. That's where we live. That's where the Christian is supposed to live. We are citizens, yes, of this earth. We are citizens of heaven first and foremost. 
We need to pay attention to that first and foremost. So we have to stop anyway. Our time is gone. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for uh, coming out and for folks to, uh, to listen in and all that stuff. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for your grace. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all these wonderful, marvelous things that you did. And thank you for all the lessons that we can find as we're looking through in applications and stuff for our own lives, Lord, here. We just ask your Holy Spirit that you will guide us and that you will certainly teach us these things and help us, Lord. Help us not to forget the lessons. But Lord, we thank you for your grace. Help us to extend grace to others. We thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.